What up and welcome back to the podcast, you are riding with D-Train. I hope that you're able to sit back, relax, and enjoy this ride as I take you on a journey talking about topics of today and also talking to you about philosophers and free thinkers of the past. So here we go. If you want to do something about it, call it what it is, system of white supremacy. But that doesn't They'll stop. say, oh, you're talking about the Ku Klux Klan. No, I'm not talking about any Ku Klux Klan. I'm talking about the entire system of government. Put the label on it that you should have. The so, system of white supremacy is the name of the only government on the planet. They are to blame for everything that non-white people are doing that shouldn't be done because they are the only people that control or tell or educate the non-white people of this planet. Let's tell the truth about it. Now, I'm either telling the truth or I'm saying something false. If you go to school, they tell you what's going to be in the books. Is my book in the school? No. No. Because it tells you about how the white supremacists operate. That's why. They're not supposed to talk about that. We're not supposed to be talking about what I'm doing right now. So a question might be raised. Why do the white supremacists allow me to talk like I'm talking? They are very intelligent. What they do is say, who's listening? So when they see that nobody's listening, nobody's using the term white supremacy, system of white supremacy, it's all the fault of the white supremacists, since nobody's saying that in one voice, in a loud voice, where it bounces off the walls everywhere, in every place, in every office, in every factory, the system of white supremacy is what's in place, the only government in the world. Nobody's saying that, but maybe Neely Fuller and a few other oddballs. So as long as nobody's paying attention, we'll just keep doing what we're doing. Because they're not even identifying the source of the problem. In order for you and me to devise some kind of method or strategy to offset some of the events or a repetition of the events that have taken place here in Los Angeles recently, we have to go to the root. We have to go to the cause. Dealing with the condition itself is not enough. And it is because of our effort toward getting straight to the root that people oftentimes think we're dealing in hate. We are oppressed. We are exploited. We are downtrodden. We are denied not only civil rights, but even human rights. So the only way we're going to get some of this oppression and exploitation away from us or aside from us is come together against the common enemy. Who taught you to hate the texture of your hair? Who taught you to hate the color of your skin to such extent that you bleach to get like the white man? Who taught you to hate the shape of your nose and the shape of your lips? Who taught you to hate yourself from the top of your head to the soles of your feet? Who taught you to hate your own kind? 
Who taught you to hate the race that you belong to? So much so that you don't want to be around each other. No, before you come asking Mr. Muhammad, does he teach hate? You should ask yourself, who taught you to hate being what God gave you? And I, for one, as a Muslim, believe that the white man is intelligent enough. If he were made to realize how black people really feel and how fed up we are without that old compromising sweet talk, stop sweet talking him. Tell him how you feel. Tell him how, what kind of hell you've been catching and let him know that if he's not ready to clean his house up, if he's not ready to clean his house up, he shouldn't have a house. It should catch on fire and burn down. And welcome to the podcast. You are riding with D-Train. And today I'm coming at you talking about America's serious problem. America definitely has a serious problem. And it's not just one. But we're going to touch on a few of these problems that America has. And I want to start off by reading this article that was written in December 9th, 2012. It's off of blackamericaweb.com. Five common problems faced by African-Americans today. I will touch on these three topics just a little lightly and go into a little bit of detail, or at least let you know what it is that I think, of course. Take it for what it's worth, whether it's two cents or one dollar or a million dollars. Either way it goes, I'm going to go ahead and get into this. And I'm going to talk a little bit about fathers in the home. Well, really, fathers out of the home. I grew up without a father in the home. But I had many good, not great, but I had good examples of uh, men who were able to, to teach me certain things, whether it was how to be responsible when it comes to working and always having a job and not just quitting every time I got tired of the crap or the disagreements going on with myself and management or even with my coworkers. I also had people who spoke to me a lot about our family structure and how important it is to be faithful to your woman, to your wife. Also had folks sit down and talk to me about, about building a future. Um, might not necessarily in the, the direction of college, but to further my education and to build my own kingdom. And the biggest teacher when it came for me, of course, my mom was, uh, was, I mean, she still is. She's still a great, strong individual. And I learned from her even to this day. But um, to go back to the fathers not being in a home, I was able to pay attention to people and their lifestyles and see the success or to see the failure that they had in their relationships, whether it was with their spouse or whether it was with their children. Either way it goes, I had saw the things in which they did and how the children would respond or react like um, a father who constantly yells at their kids and beats them every time. They get overly frustrated and in a particular thing in which the kid did that daddy or mommy did not like. 
I also realized and noticed that a lot of times in a relationship, it doesn't matter if it's the woman or if it's the man, you would just see that it happens. There was just this utter dominance when it came to um, who was the boss in a household and that whenever I put my foot down, this is the way it is. And if you don't like it too bad, um, we could argue, we can bicker, but no matter what's going to happen, I am not going to move. So I realized early that in order to have a good relationship in a household, you need to be able to talk to your spouse. You need to be able to find common ground. You are in a partnership. It is not a dictatorship. As much as you would like for your woman or for your man to shut the hell up and to do whatever it is that you want them to do or to act a certain way, the fact of the matter is, is that this person, this one that you claim that you love, is a human being. They will make mistakes. They have tendencies. They have nuances that you may not like. So in order to in order to have a peaceful home and a stable home, you need to find common ground and you need to admit when you are wrong and you need to be able to sometimes admit when you're wrong, even when you're not wrong. It's about the building of one another. It's about the building of your kingdom. And the thing is, is that it takes more than one person to build a kingdom. So that's what I think about fathers in or even out of the home. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about imprisonment. Imprisonment is something that commonly happens in poor neighborhoods, especially in the black neighborhood. And a lot of this is self-inflicted. Now, whenever you have a neighborhood in which there's a lot of drugs, there's a lot of activities that one should not find themselves in. Whenever you do find yourself in it, it's very easy to find yourself doing five to ten, one to two years, six months, three months over really petty things. And the best thing I can tell you is to try your best to avoid the neighborhood and the riffraff that goes along with it. My neighborhood, I grew up in the South Bronx, was a pretty bad neighborhood. Bad meaning that the people in the neighborhood just seemed like they just didn't care. They wanted to find temporary pleasure in everything it seems like they were a part of whether it was um, relationships, whether it was with money, whether it was with dealing with the girlfriends or the parents, people seem to always want to find trouble. Um, you know, you get the long oddball stairs, you get to talking behind the back. It doesn't matter. Now, this is not things that just particularly go with the poor of the neighborhoods. You have these kinds of things happening to the most pristine and gorgeous cities or towns that you might have come from where the upper class are driving the latest and the greatest and they have, you know, Rolex watches and thousand dollar suits, so on and so forth. Nobody is, nobody is beyond dealing with the opportunity of imprisonment when it comes into their neighborhood or 
or just the, the nuances that come with a bunch of people living together in a, a small or even a large area. So, you know, when it comes to imprisonment, one of the best things that you can do is find yourself some hobbies and to stay away from those persons, places and things that you know that's going to cause or to give you an opportunity, especially a greater opportunity to get arrested. Now, I used to go in Brooklyn and hang out like around Flatbush, New York and Flatbush. Man, that was the place where it was always popping off in the weekends. And um, there was a couple instances where I was over at my grandma's house. Now, this is when I was a lot younger. Whenever I was older, I already had learned some of these things. So I stayed away. Um, and that's one of the beauty of just learning from people or watching your surroundings or even, you know, you come across a certain situation and you realize that the potential of, of harm and you just decide that, yo, this is not for me. I'm not going to do this anymore. and I'm good. So anyway, getting back to the situation, I was with my cousin and we was rolling up to the spot. And whenever I was there, I had noticed that there was, you know, some whispering going on. You know, the music was bumping. You know, people going to talk. They're going to whisper. Uh, but I noticed that there was some shady looking characters, at least what I thought was shady looking characters going on. And, you know, you always got to keep your guard up whenever you're you're in places like like a Flatbush or, uh, you know, the South Bronx or, you know, East New York or whatever. So I had realized that, uh, you know, these couple individuals that, that came into the club, that they were kind of moving a little different from everybody else. And the way this one guy was kind of, you know, checking his pockets or checking his coat made it look like he had a, a weapon on him. And, you know, there was a lot of finger pointing going on and, you know, they were looking across the room. I didn't think too much of it. You know, this kind of stuff is common. So um, I didn't really think too much of it. I had to take a minute and, and go to the house. Um, the The club that I was at wasn't too far from my grandmother's house anyway. So I had left briefly. It was going to take me five minutes, if that, 10 minutes at most run to the crib, come back, get my party on. So when I come back, um, I'm on my way and my cousin that I was rolling with, he was heading towards me and he was like, yo, man, he's like, man, let's go home. I was like, yo, what are you doing? Like, you know, let's, let's get ahead and party. The the night just started. Let's get ahead and do things. And man, they shut it down. I said, what happened? He said, man, they shot the club up. I said, they shot the club up. He's like, yeah, man. I was like, damn, I was just there. Like, that could have been me. That could have been me. I could have been the one that got shot. My cousin could have been the one that got shot. You know, so actually that that scenario happened to me twice. You know, you would think after the first time, you know, individual learn, but I'm kind of hard-headed. So it, it took me two times. And ever since that second time, I've never, never gone back into another club again. Club life for me was done at a very, very early age. So, you know, that's another way to avoid not only just imprisonment or or even um, <clears throat> the opportunity to get killed, because in places like that is not just, you know, partying going down. There's little shady deals going on. You know, people are talking about beef that they have with somebody else. 
or, you know, you might be standing in front of a, a known drug building and it gets raided and everybody in the vicinity is getting popped. So you, you definitely want to stay away from, you know, places like that, which is, you know, is really common sense. But at times, you know, we don't really think about these things. So um, that's my advice to you of how to avoid imprisonment, you know, and then also to learn your rights. Read up on on your, your basic rights, your laws, how the police department operates, what the policy is, um, familiarize yourself with the different police officers that roam through your your uh, your area or your city. Um, if you need to make a phone call to the police department and and ask, you know, who are the guys or who are the women that that roam this area, um, you know, do what you got to do to figure it out. And then so now we move on to um, last but not least, uh, victimhood. Now, I understand that this society is not built in the favor of the black man or the black woman. Um, but you got to understand that. Not just it's not so much claiming yourself to be the victim, it's the mindset behind claiming yourself to be the victim that's the most uh, most harmful to your way of living and your way of thinking when it comes to victimhood realize and understand that the systems that are in place are not for you they're not designed for you whether it's right or wrong or indifferent it does not matter the fact of the matter is is that this country is ruled by the white man bottom line and then you got Black people who are going to be in higher places, like maybe police chiefs or mayors, or you might have some prominent lawyers in your city, or you might have some black men or black women that's on the, the city council. Those things are nice and they're they can be helpful. But at the same time, you got to understand that there's house Negroes and that there's field Negroes. You got those who love master more than master loves themselves. And that they will do anything that they can in order to be close to master. They want to drive the same kind of cars that master has. They want to be in the same kind of neighborhoods. They'll snitch. They'll talk about their own people. They'll talk about their own family in order to please master. So just because you have an official that is of the same color or that's the same hue as you who look like you. It does not mean that they are for you. So getting back to the victimhood part. When you think about a victim, a victim is helpless. They can do absolutely nothing in order to uh, protect themselves or to change their situation or to come out on the offensive and be victorious. Now, that might be the case in some instances. But there's not going to be the case in every scenario that you come across. So get your victories where you can. And where you can't get your victories, come together. Talk to your brothers and your sisters and your, your community. Come up with a plan and figure out the things that you can do in order to change your neighborhood, to change your city, in order to make it better and to reflect what it is that that the ideals that you have for the way that you should be living, whether it's 
has to do with your housing, whether it has to do with schooling, whether it has to do with um, financial aid. We could be talking about the types of parks that are in the neighborhood or whether it has walkways or um, bicycle lanes. These different things are what helps the community and it also um, enhances your, your way of life. So if you feel like if you feel like you're you're not getting the the respect that you want or that you deserve or that your way of life is poor, then the best thing that you can do is to start contacting your officials. Find out who your find out who your your city council men or woman is, figure out who the mayor is, how to get a hold of them, you know. Typing up letters is not fun, it's boring, it's dull. We should not have to be asking, you know, John Doe to come fix these potholes that's in the in the middle of the street, to have better job opportunities, to have um, programs that are in place where we can get better jobs or we can have jobs or whether it's continuous education programs and that there's uh, there's funds it can be drawn from and People who are like, uh, you know, single parents or young adults who are trying to get ahead in life are able to to better themselves. So victimhood is a terrible place to be. Victims cannot, in my in my opinion, victims cannot do anything. Now, there are times where you are absolutely the victim. And there's other times where you can do something about the fact that you was a victim so, so we're continuing talking about America's problem. In the last couple of years, you've had several arrests or whether the cops have been called on these black men or whether they've been shot and killed. So I'm going to read through some of them and let's start with Rashawn Nelson and Dante Robertson, who were wrongfully arrested for sitting in Starbucks. You have Stefan Clark, who was killed in his grandmother's backyard. You also had a claim that he had a gun, which he didn't have a gun. And of course, once again, the police officers were justified in their shooting. Then you got Dante Yarber, who was killed in his family member's car. He had borrowed a car of his one of his family members and the vehicle was reported stolen. And when the cops came upon him and dealt with him, of course, he had to be shot. There was no other way to solve the issue. The man was killed. And that is infuriating in the very least. Um, here we have uh, four black men who were killed in Tennessee by a white gunman, uh, James Shaw Jr., who was black and put himself in, in harm's way to actually stop that gunman um, who had killed those individuals in Tennessee. We have Saeed Vasil, who is from Brooklyn and suffers from mental illness. He was shot and killed and reports had said or stated that he had had a gun. If you recall the situation, this was the man who was in traffic and he was going up and down. He was uh, knocking on um, different vehicle uh, windows. And of course, somebody or somebody's were over paranoid and they had to call the cops over some man knocking on the window and he was shot and killed. But the weird thing about it was that the neighborhood I knew that this man had mental issues and that they had uh, dealt with it. So I don't understand 
what was so different about this particular time and why he was shot and why the cops didn't know this man and the fact that he had issues and decided that the best way to deal with the situation was to kill him. Then, you know, you have all these different killings of black individuals and black Black Lives Matter had come about. And of course, there has to be a, a fight against that. And people started coming up with All Lives Matter. Well, we're not talking about All Lives Matter because we realize that All Lives Matter, we're trying to talk about Black Lives Matter as well. Because more than anything, you see on the news or you read or you hear from your friends or you watch on social media, that is constantly the same thing over and over again. Black men, black women are being accosted. They're being assaulted. They're being thrown in jail. They're being mishandled. You had this one man who was uh, thrown on the hot pavement and the whole front side of his body had third degree burns. And um, once again, the officers were not at fault. And it's sickening. Now, these things have to change. Um, we have all these platforms that we can have, or that we get to use where we can talk to one another, that we can communicate, we can use video, we can text, we can email. And I don't know what's going on out there in the world, but it doesn't seem like social media is uh, being used for anything except for the, to piss and moan and to, to put out this information. Um, People need to, to speak. They need to have dialogue. And just a bunch of bitching and moaning is not good enough. You know, you want to talk about America's problems. You talk about the Indian Removal Act in 1830. And that the fact that the white man cannot tolerate the presence of the, the black man or the, the, the peaceful Indians. And decided that they wanted to go ahead and move them to a, a different spot um, further out west which whenever the Indians finally found their territory or a place to live, you know, they have to catch hell whenever they, they get to their, their new home as well. The fact of the matter is, is that as long as you are in that dark skin of yours, black man, black woman, black boy, or black girl, it doesn't matter. You're going to catch hell. And I believe that the solution to the, the to the problem um, is to be able to have dialogue, to recognize how white supremacy is functioning and the different things that they do in which to, to lie to us or to have us come against one another. We need to put our petty differences to the side. We need to be able to come together and agree on what our issues are. And to be able to articulate ourselves um, when it comes to addressing our government, when it comes to addressing and those who are in uh, authority, we need to we need to do more than just just speak. But and then we need to have this dialogue in private. We don't need to be putting all our business out on social media. We don't need to be uh, involving those or wasting our time arguing with those who could care less about uh, our side of the story or what we have to say.